You're listening to the Benton Heights Presbyterian Church Podcast. We hope this message brings you encouragement and helps to build your faith in Jesus. We're glad you're here to listen to this message from Pastor Paul. So we continue our journey through the Gospel of John, and today we hit John 8, more of John 8, I should say. And in God's providence, the timing is this is Memorial Weekend, which is where we are celebrating and honoring those who have given their lives that we might have what? Freedom. Okay. That's the key American word, isn't it? That word, freedom, is powerful. It gives us such, such imagery, strong imagery. And as you're an American, pretty much you're pro-freedom. And we celebrate our freedom as a nation on Memorial Day and July 4th. These are holidays, meaning holy days. That's the actual meaning of a holiday. It's a holy day in which we gather to honor freedom. And what's curious is that in John 8 today, it's a holiday that they're celebrating. It's called the Feast of Tabernacles or the Feast of Booths. And it has its dating back in the Old Testament in the days of Exodus and Moses where God's people were slaves in the nation of Egypt and were not free. But God frees them supernaturally, miraculously. By this point in time, they have grown to a nation of a million and a half to two million people and they get to go to their new home in the promised land of Israel where they are free to worship God which is what true freedom is all about. It's the freedom to live in a relationship with him. As they created this holiday, so it's every year in place, where they, just like us, everybody gets off work, kids get out of school, and they go to honor, remember, celebrate freedom. And Jesus shows up, says, you're not free. And his word is is very controversial and confrontational. It was for them and it is for us because we live in the land of the free. But people are not free. This is how our story opens. To the Jews who had believed in him, Jesus said, if you hold to my teaching, you are really my disciples, then you will know the truth and the truth will set you free. Jesus says it all starts with receiving him. So do you believe in Jesus? Have you received Jesus? That's where it starts. And after you receive Jesus, you need to hold on to his teaching. That's what he says. And that phrase is an ongoing present tense kind of thing. You need to keep holding on to his word. It's about having a new lifestyle, new uh, authority, new uh, freedom given to you that God wants you to open his word so that you can relate to Jesus. And then he uses this phrase about being disciples. Now, here's how that worked in the day. If you wanted to be the disciple of someone, you wanted to be a student. So that, this is like, uh, like us, the equivalent of going to college. Except in their day, what they would do is say, okay, I want to I further my, my education. I want to be a disciple. I want to further my religious education. So they would go to a rabbi, a teacher, and they would have to ask them, would you be my mentor? And if the person said yes, 
then the one that has asked would have to live with them. They would get to live with them. They would, they would eat with them. They would do life together. That's, that's the meaning behind being a disciple. It, it was a, uh, a, a very strong relationship. Well, with that in mind, so we receive Jesus, we read his word, we relate to him as a disciple, and as a disciple, you are constantly seeking the truth. But here's the issue. We live in a day where we think we already know the truth. We already have the truth. You know, know, they have their truth, and you've got to buy into what they understand the truth to be. There's only one truth. There aren't multiple truths. This is where people say, well, you've got your truth, I've got my truth, and my truth works for me. God would come along and ask, well, does anyone care about my truth and what works for me? What we're talking about is is true reality. Not what you just think in your heart, but what is actual true. How do you know what's true? Like I could come to you and say, I'm six foot four. Because I believe that I'm six foot four. So you got to accept that I'm six foot four. And you'd say, no, you're not. I live in reality. Well, who are you to judge? Well, I'm the one with the tape measure and you're not six foot four. Jesus says he's God. That's reality. Jesus says we're sinners. That's reality. Jesus says that heaven and hell are the two choices of eternal destiny based on whether or not you have a relationship with him. That's reality. And there are lots of people who say, well, I don't believe in reality. You will. You will stand before Jesus and his reality is the only reality. So it's receiving Jesus. It's hearing his word by reading it. It's it's relating to him. It's it's living in his reality. And then there you get to experience freedom. But there are three dimensions to freedom. There is external freedom, there is internal freedom, and there is eternal freedom. Now, these people, they have a measure of external freedom just like you. You are free to come in here today. I am free to teach the Bible to you. We are free to gather, to assemble. So there is some measure for all of us that we have external freedoms. The myth, though, that goes along with that is to say that, well, then we're free. But there's also internal freedom. Some of you are bitter against people that have sinned against you. And you're living in a prison bitterness. You're not living in the freedom of forgiveness. Some of you spiritually, you're not free. You have a false concept of God. You don't understand his love, his grace, his forgiveness. And as a result, you are carrying burdens that you're not supposed to carry. You are carrying shame that Jesus has already died for. You are carrying regret that God has already forgiven. Some of you, you're not mentally free. There are things you've done or that's been done to you that's haunted you. You may be free externally, but you're not free internally. So, here we are the land of the free, how are people doing? They're depressed, angry, self-medicating, frustrated, hurting, broken. There's not internal freedom. 
And the most important freedom is eternal freedom. You may think that you live with external and internal freedom, but if you don't live with eternal freedom, you're going to die. And if you don't have that eternal freedom, forever is a very long time. These people are having their holiday. They're celebrating their external freedom. And Jesus comes along to remind them, but there's more to it than that. What about your internal freedom? What about your eternal freedom? And let me tell you this. Freedom is not the freedom to do whatever you want to do. Freedom is the freedom that God made you to do. So we're not free from God. We're free to God. We're not free for rebellion. We are free for a relationship with him. And the world tends to think that freedom is the freedom to run away from God, not to walk with God, to rebel from God, not to have a relationship with God. But freedom in the Bible is about having a relationship with God where you become the person God intends for you. Jesus is saying this all openly, publicly, and the people are getting a little offended by this. It really comes down to freedom. And then Jesus is going to talk about delivering us from slavery. You know, that's the opposite of freedom. Delivering us from the slavery to sin, the slavery to religion, the slavery to the demonic, and even slavery to death. So they answered him, we are Abraham's descendants. So Jesus comes along and says, all right, so where does your hope reside? And they're like, Well, you know what? (laughs) There's this long line of people that God prefers and favors, and they all descend from a guy named Abraham. That's us. We happen to be born in the right family, so we are God's honored, chosen, special people. (laughs) They answered him, we are Abraham's descendants and have never been slaves of anyone. Is that true? Is that true of the people of Israel? No, it's not. They are totally blowing it. That is as far from the truth as they could get. The children of Israel, let me give you the list. They were slaves in Egypt. And then along come the Assyrians, which overrule them. And then the Babylonians, and then the Persians, and then the Greeks. And at this very moment that Jesus and these people are having this discussion, this confrontation, they are under the rule of the Roman Empire. And remember, this is during a holiday in which they're supposed to be celebrating their freedom. You know, even when God gave them freedom from Egypt, they didn't live free. As they are wandering in the wilderness, God's people were thinking, remember the good days when we were slaves? (laughs) We want to go back to Egypt. That was their whole thing. They start to rewrite history. They start to make for themselves idols, which they're going to worship. The most famous is the golden calf. Why? They have external freedom, but they don't have internal freedom. They're rewriting history. We Christians have done this thing. I remember the good old days when I wasn't a Christian. I could do whatever I wanted to do and not feel guilty. Jesus asks, or they ask Jesus, how can you say that we shall be free? They're like, free from what? Free to do what? Let me tell you what Jesus does. He sets you free from things so you can be free to someone. 
That's the biblical definition of freedom. It's about a relationship with him. They don't get this. They're thinking, we're doing fine. It's working for us. Jesus is like, well, it's not working for me. So Jesus replies, very truly I tell you, everyone who sins is a slave to sin. Well, are these decent people? Are they moral? Are they religious? Are they spiritual? Are they good people? Yeah, they even would claim that. They say, yeah, we're good people. They're thinking slaves to sin. That's pretty harsh. Okay. Then prove Jesus wrong and be perfect. And the moment you say, I can't, then you're a slave to sin. It it rules over you. Jesus continues. Now, a a slave has no permanent place in the family, but a son belongs to it forever. So if the son sets you free, it's the next verse, you will be free indeed. What we're talking about here is identity and activity. Jesus uses opposites. Slave, son. What's the difference between a slave and a son in that culture? Well, in the Roman Empire, there were many people who were slaves or former slaves, and a slave had no legal right, a son did. A slave did not live in the household because they weren't a member of the family. A son obviously did. When the head of the household died, the slave had no inheritance, the son had all the inheritance. Here's the point. What comes first, your identity or your activity? Who you are? what you do? That's a crucial question. Because if you're a slave to sin, then your identity is as a slave and you are nothing but a filthy, guilty sinner who has no hope of change. And our culture buys into that. And we get to the conclusion, this is how far along it has gone, where people will say, you need to accept who I am, you need to celebrate who I am, I can't change. And some will even go so far as to say, well, God doesn't or won't change me either. Your activity does not determine your identity, your identity determines your activity. In other words, who you are determines what you do. If you are a child of God, who you are is determined by God. That now means you have authority over your sin. You don't have to continue to live that way. God changes my identity. That allows me to change my activity. God, through Jesus, has changed who I am. So I am now changing what I do. If Jesus calls you a child of God, That's your identity now. Look, if you're a slave to sin, who's your master? It's Satan. But if you're a child of God, Satan is not your master. And God is your father. There are some Christians who still have a master-slave mentality when it comes to God, that he's angry, he's mean, he's non-relational, he's just looking to beat me up, not build me up. And Jesus said, don't think like that. Don't think like a slave. You're not. You have a father. And he is there to help you gain victory over your sin. And who is more powerful than your dad? 
And they are offended by this. Because what Jesus is telling them, what they have to receive is the bad news that we are sinners before we can receive the good news, we have a Savior. It seems too often that people think Christianity is too easy. All you got to do is believe in Jesus. Well, it's really hard at first. Because the first thing you've got to believe is that you are bad and that you need Jesus. Some people will think, you know what? I'm just a good person. I used to think that. And then I got married. (laughs) So I've got a witness that I'm not a good person. (laughs) You got to start with, I'm a sinner. That's the bad news. I need Jesus. That's the good news. Jesus says, you will know the truth and the truth will set you free. And the first thing that sets you free from is sin. There are things in your life that you don't need to do anymore. There are ways of believing and behaving that now through God's power, you have a right to walk away from and to walk with Jesus. And some of the ways in which sin manifests manifests itself is in religion. Jesus says, I know that you are Abraham's descendants, yet you are looking for a way to kill me. Because you have no room for my word. I am telling you what I have seen in the Father's presence. He's saying, I've come down from heaven. I was sent by God. I know exactly why I'm here. And what I'm speaking is the truth. And you are doing what you have heard from your father. Abraham is our father, they answered. See, some of you might still think that you've got a right standing with God just because of the family you were born into. Well, that's putting faith in your earthly father, not your heavenly father. That's why people will say, you know what? I grew up in a Christian home. I came from a believing family, so I'm good. It's not about being born. It's about being born again. If you were Abraham's children, Jesus said, then you would do what Abraham did. As it is, you are looking for a way to kill me. A man who has told you the truth that I heard from God, Abraham did not do such things. You are doing the works of your own father. Now, this is where it's going to escalate. We are not illegitimate children, they protested. What's that about? That's about Jesus. It's about Jesus' mom. Yeah, they went there. (laughs) That's how ugly this is going to get. Jesus, (laughs) no one knows who your dad is. Yeah, virgin birth, right. The only father we have is God himself. (laughs) Who are they saying this to? God. Jesus said to them, if God were your father, you would love me. For I have come here from God. I have not come on my own. God sent me. Why is my language not clear to you? Because you are unable to hear what I have to say. All right, a couple of things. Religion focuses on your birth. Jesus focuses on your new birth. Religion focuses on your earthly father. Jesus focuses on your heavenly father. Religion trusts in what you do, 
We're good people. We come from the, the right family. Jesus wants you to focus on what he has done. He lives without sin and died on the cross in your place for your sins and rises from death as your savior. Religious people stand before God with their resume saying, hey, here's what I've done. Look at me, God. Jesus wants you to stand before God and point to him as your resume. He continues, you belong to your father, the devil. Strong, isn't it? And you want to carry out your father's desires. He was a murderer. He's talking about Satan. He was a murderer from the beginning, not holding to the truth, for there is no truth in him. When he lies, he speaks his native language. In other words, that's all he knows. For he is a liar. And the father of lies. Yet because I tell the truth, you do not believe me. This is crazy, isn't it? Jesus is saying this out in public at a holiday gathering. <laughs> Can any of you prove me guilty of sin? He's saying, I've not done anything wrong. If I am telling the truth, why don't you believe in me? Well, that's because they have their own agendas, their own perspective, which is all wrong. Whoever belongs to God, hears what God says. The reason you do not hear is that you do not belong to God. These are religious people who have taken the day off to go to the temple to celebrate their freedom and to thank God for it. And God shows up in Jesus and says, you don't know God. Here's what Jesus is saying. There are two fathers. There is Satan and there is God the Father. And there are two families. There are the children of the devil and there are the children of God. And there are two languages. There are those who speak lies. There are those who speak the truth. There is either darkness or light. They bring either death or life. They go to either hell or heaven. I hope that's clear because Jesus is being that clear. So let me ask you, this world in which we live, this land of free, how's it going? Are people's desires all about godliness and holiness and obedience? No, because we're slaves to our sin. And people are broken because Satan doesn't bring life. And people are in bondage because Satan doesn't bring freedom. And people are hopeless because Satan doesn't bring hope. This world is not working. Everyone needs Jesus. That's the only place where we're going to find freedom. The Jews answered him. Well, aren't we right in saying that you are a Samaritan and demon-possessed? Man, they don't give up, do they? <laughs> Got to hand it to these religious people. They're really wrong, but they keep going at it strong. Now, they're calling him a Samaritan. That's one of the things. We'll get to the demon-possessed in a second. So what's wrong with being called a Samaritan? Well, who are the Samaritans? They are a group of, a group of people who live in the nation of Israel, but they're right in the middle. There is... To the north, the region of Galilee. To the south, that's Jerusalem and Bethlehem and all those other kind of cities. And right in the middle is Samaria. And the Jews and the Samaritans hated each other. The Samaritans came into existence as a group because they intermarried 
other foreign cultures and brought in other religions. You see, they were half cousins of the Jews, but they strayed and they went after what God told them not to go after because they would be, they would be duped. They would be diminished in their search for God. And so these people gave up the true faith. They had their own temple to a different God and they would even sacrifice children. So for a Jewish person to be called a Samaritan was slanderous. And then they're telling God that he's demon possessed. I'm glad they didn't have Twitter back then. They're saying that he's acting out of the power of Satan, not the power of God. Jesus continues. He says, I am not possessed by the demon, but I honor my father and you dishonor me. Some people will say, I believe in God, but I just don't believe in Jesus. Jesus says, well, if you don't belong to me, then you don't belong to the father. We're the same. He continues, I am not seeking glory for myself, but there is one who seeks it and he is the judge. Now here's the issue. Everyone seeks their own glory. What's in it for me? What are people gonna think of me? Social media, for the most part, is all about acting as if you are already having a resurrection body in the kingdom of God because everything is always perfect and rosy and awesome in your life. Hardly anyone just gets up first thing in the morning, wakes up, takes a selfie and says, well, here I am, bad hair day. I feel gassy and bloated and my dog hates me. Hashtag real me. Jesus is about honoring the father. There is great freedom. When it finally comes that your desire for God's glory is more than your desire for your own glory. He continues, very truly I tell you, whoever obeys my word will never see death. Now that's a big claim. <laughs> you can beat death. No one beats death. Death always comes. Jesus says, you're a sinner, but I forgive sin and I defeat death. At this, they exclaimed, now we know that you are demon-possessed. Abraham died, and so did the prophets. Yet you say that whoever obeys your word will never taste death? Are you greater than our father Abraham? He died. So do the prophets. Who do you think you are? Jesus, are you greater than Abraham? Yes. Well, the prophets who died, are you greater than them? Yes. I've got good news for you. Jesus defeats death. You see, the most important thing, well, let me say it this way. The worst thing is not that you die. The worst thing is that you would die without Jesus. The apostle Paul says, to live is Christ, to die is what? Anybody know that one? Gain, yeah. To live is Christ, to die is gain. That means we get an upgrade. And actually, dying to the believer 
is a gift where we have to leave, we get to leave this sinful world behind and we go to be in God's presence and we get for the first time a perfect relationship with him. What Jesus is talking about in this section is that eternal freedom. So Jesus replied, if I glorify myself, my glory means nothing. My father, whom you claim as your God, is the one who glorifies me. Though you do not know him, I know him. If I said I did not, I would be a liar like you, but I do know him and obey his word. What Jesus is saying is, so you're going to kill me unless I say, oops, I'm a liar. The truth is, he's God. He's Savior. He's come down from heaven, and he's been on a mission to save those who he seeks and to serve them. He says, your father Abraham rejoiced at the thought of seeing my day. He saw it. Abraham was looking forward to the time of Jesus' coming. That might have been some 1,800 years later. He saw it and he was glad. (laughs) All these people are saying, hey, we look to Abraham. We're Abraham's descendants. And Jesus says, well, guess what? Abraham was looking to me. What Jesus is saying is that all of Scripture and all of history is ultimately about him. Let me remind you very briefly about the story of Abraham. It starts in Genesis chapter 12. Abraham is a pagan guy. And God shows up and saves him. And he leads him on a journey, sight unseen. So Abraham is really the father of those who live by faith, not by sight. God, though, makes a promise to Abraham. Through you will come a son to be a blessing to all the nations of the earth. There's a problem. Abraham and his wife Sarah don't have any kids. Abraham and his wife Sarah are very old. She is way past childbearing age. But God made a promise. We serve a a promise-keeping God. The promise comes true. They have a son. Fast forward to Genesis chapter 22. God says, take this son, the son of the promise, and sacrifice him. His son at this point is a young adult who literally carries the wood on his back. He's doing this. He's just following his father Abraham, uh, surrendering and, and submission to him. And he is laid on that wood that he has carried. And the father is going to take his son's life. The only son through whom the promise of blessing all the nations was to come. And Abraham was about to sacrifice him. And God says, stop. It will be provided. You know what that story foreshadows, right? It's another father who has another son who will carry his own wood as a sacrifice for sinners. And do you know where that will take place? (laughs) Basically the same area that they're having this discussion right now. You see, Jesus will be the fulfillment of this promise to Abraham. He is the blessing to the nations of the earth. He is the promised and chosen son of God. He is the one who carried the wood of the cross on his back 
to die in your place and to lay down his life for the forgiveness of sins. But then the Jews asked him or said to him, you're not yet 50 years old and you have seen Abraham. Yeah, well, the eternal God is a lot older than Abraham. His name is Jesus. Very truly, I tell you, Jesus answered, before Abraham was born, I am. Now, that I am statement is really powerful. There are seven I am statements in the Gospel of John. It's significant. He tells us that not only in Genesis, am I the God who came to save Abraham? I'm the God who delivered the people of, of Israel out of Egypt through Moses. Here's why that's important. Moses is leading God's people when they were in slavery and bondage. They are not free to worship God in Egypt. So God shows up and he speaks to Moses through a burning bush. And he says, go tell Pharaoh, let my people go. Now, immediately, Moses knows, all right, this is going to get really complicated. So I'm supposed to go and say, dear, most honorable, high-ruling king of the most powerful nation on earth, Egypt, you who is worshipped as a god, you are to let your two million slaves go because a shrubbery says so. Moses is thinking, I've got to have more than thus saith the bush. Who am I to say sent me? And God answers him. Tell him, tell Pharaoh, I am has sent you. Jesus says, your father Abraham was looking forward to me. And I am the one who told Moses to lead the people of God to freedom, to worship him. That's me. I am the I am. Last verse. At this, they picked up stones to stone him, but Jesus hid himself slipping away from the temple grounds. If you have a problem with Jesus... Think about all the objections you could raise. He's confrontational. He's controversial. He's divisive. He says he's greater than Abraham. He says he's the God who spoke to Moses. He said that he uh, came to defeat death, that we have a sin problem. He says that uh, our religion is corrupt. All those things for which we can have an objection to Jesus. My encouragement to you, trust him that he is all of that and more. What's amazing is they pick up stones to put Jesus to death. Why would they want to put Jesus to death? Because he keeps claiming he's God. Why does he claim he's God? <laughs> because he's God. Jesus ultimately does die. They put him to death. And what is one of the things he says from the cross? Father, forgive them. Are you kidding me? That's Jesus. Jesus sets you free from being a slave to sin. 
He set you free from being a slave to religion. He set you free from being a slave to death. He even set you free from being a slave to the fears that you have. Who or what are you afraid of? Jesus says that you will know the truth and the truth will set you free. A little later in John, Jesus will claim, I am the way and the truth and the life. So if the truth sets us free and Jesus is the truth, Jesus is the one who sets us free. If you've never given your life to Jesus, if you've never given your sin to Jesus, this is the day you can begin to believe in Jesus and walk with Jesus. If you're already a believer, you may be living in lies. And as a result, you're not experiencing the full freedom that God has for you as his sons and daughters. You are somebody that he loves. And he is a father. That means he has come not to beat you up, but to pick you up. Not to tear you down, but to build you up. You need to know that the father's heart towards you is a gracious heart, a loving heart, a forgiving heart. You need to know that God, the father, had you in his mind and on his heart when the world came to be. You need to know that this world is a gift from the father. It is to worship, not to sin. It is for freedom, not for slavery. He wants you to enjoy, not use and abuse the things and people he has given you. The Father wants you to know that Jesus Christ is the Son of God and that his death was in your place and that you are free to have a relationship with him. And that relationship is internal. God wants you to give him your sin, your burdens, your fear, your regrets, your shame, your condemnation. For those of us, which is all of us, who have sinned and strayed, there is foolishness, there is rebellion. The Father needs you to know that his heart towards you is unchanged. He loves you. He welcomes you. He wants to forgive you and clean you up. The Father wants you to know that any sin or struggle you have, He's bigger than that. He's already victorious, and Jesus can set you free. And the Father wants you to know that He's got a home for you. And one day, you will experience an eternal freedom where sin is no more and death is no more and shame is no more and regret is no more and condemnation is no more. All there is is light and love and joy and peace in the presence of Jesus who is the Son of God who is the light of the world. We hope you enjoyed the message. You can connect with us on Instagram, Facebook, our website, bhprez.org and subscribe to our YouTube channel to stay up to date on all our latest content.